morning. Um, it's just, it, yeah, I was saying earlier, it's such a lovely privilege to be here and sharing with you. Um, so thank you. <laughs> um, earlier on, um, my husband Andrew was here in the service as well. And I was um, referring to him as to how long we've been in the church, but he's gone now. So I'm like, I'll just have to make it up. <laughs> but also it means that I can probably say whatever I want about him now that he's not here. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's not going to tell me off afterwards. Um, I, one of the roles that I get to do at Tier Fund, which is really, really lovely actually, is I go around and do Tier Fund speaking engagements. And um, so we've been to a number of different churches and I go in and talk a little bit about Tier Fund. And it kind of feels all right because it's what I do in my day job. And it's just like, you know, I go in there and I just share what I normally do. And um, it's fine, but this feels a little bit more daunting. And I was saying earlier as well that Andrew likes to come along because he gets treated like a king for the morning. And he sits sort of on the front and lots of people just bring him cakes and biscuits and coffees. So, but he seems to, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was a bit disappointed that he didn't get that in the first service. So he's gone now. Um, <laughs> so um, this morning, um, as Joe mentioned, we're going to share a little bit from the book of Genesis um, about Jacob this morning, and Jacob knew what it was to wrestle. And I just wonder whether you guys, yourselves this morning, there, you know, we might have experience of wrestling in your life, and whether that's wrestling with God about a passage in the Bible, or wrestling as to why something's happening in your life, or just trying to figure out how, what God is trying to say to you at certain situ- in situ- situations in your life. Um, but I hope, hopefully, um, this helps this morning in that. But first of all, I'd like to share a little children's book with you. It shows the level of my um, <laughs> abilities. It's, um, I'd much prefer to learn things from children's books, probably. Um, but this children's book spoke to me a bit because it, I relate to it very much. Um, and I hope you enjoy hearing it as well. Um, so it's called The Most Magnificent Thing. And I've got a few wee pictures up here, so you'll be able to follow along as well with some of the pictures. And this is about, this is the wee girl here we're talking about. So this is a regular girl and her best friend in the whole wide world. They do all kinds of things together. They race, they eat, they explore, and they relax. She makes things. He unmakes things. And one day, the girl has a wonderful idea. She's going to make the most magnificent thing. She knows just how it will look. And she knows just how it's going to work. All she has to do is make it. And she makes things all the time, easy peasy. First, she hires an assistant, the dog. Next, they gather their supplies. They set up somewhere out of the way and get to work. The girl tinkers and hammers and measures while her assistant pounces and growls and chews. When she's finished, she steps back to admire her work. She walks around one side and then she examines the other side. But it doesn't look right. Her assistant picks it up and gives it a bit of a shake. It doesn't feel right either. They are shocked to discover that this thing is not magnificent or good. It isn't even kind of sort of okay. It's all wrong. 
And the girl tosses it aside and gives it another go. I love this face. <laughs> She's definitely got a, I'm getting fed up with this face. She smooths and wrenches and fiddles. Her assistant circles and tugs and wags. When she is finished, she stands up and takes a long look at it. Her assistant gives it a nudge with his paw. The thing is still wrong. She decides to try again. The girl saws and glues and adjusts. She stands and examines and stares. She twists and tweaks and fastens. She fixes and straightens and studies. She tries all kinds of ways to make it better. She makes it square, she makes it round, she gives it legs, and she adds some antennae. She makes it fuzzy, she makes it long, short, rough, smooth, big, small, and some even smell of stinky cheese. But none of them are magnificent. Her hard work attracts a few admirers, but they don't understand that they can't see the magnificent thing that she has in her mind. And she gets mad. <laughs> the angrier she gets, the faster she works. She smashes pieces into shapes. She jams parts together. She pummels the little bits in. And her fat hands just feel too big to work. And her brain is too full of all the not right things. If only the thing would just work. And then there's a picture in the book here of her crunching her finger in between two bits of metal that she's working with. So the pain starts in her finger and it rushes up to her brain and she explodes. <laughs> and this is my favorite part. It's not her finest moment. I'm no good at this. I quit. So her assistant suggests a walk. The walk's not much help at first, but before she long, she starts to feel a little bit different. Bit by bit, the mad gets pushed out of her head. As they stroll along, she comes across the first wrong thing that she made. The bad feelings are about to start all over again. But then she notices something surprising. There are some parts of the wrong things that are really quite right. The bolts on one, the shape of another, the wheel to seat ratio of the next. There are all sorts of parts that actually she quite likes. By the time she reaches the end of the trail, she finally knows how to make the thing magnificent. She gets to work. She works carefully and slowly, tinkering, hammering, twisting, fiddling, gluing, painting. Her assistant makes sure that there are no distractions. The afternoon fades into evening, and finally, she finishes. She alerts her assistant. The pair take a good, long look. Oh, it leans a little to the left, and it's a bit heavier than expected. And the color could use a bit of work too. But it's just what she wanted. They climb aboard and take it for a spin. They are not disappointed. It really is the most magnificent thing. So 
I hope I'm not the only one that relates to that um, to the story of getting a little bit mad when something's not turning out your way. <laughs> um, this book, actually, um, I wanted to share because it reminded me of a time of my time at university. Um, as Jerry mentioned, I went to Edinburgh Uni and studied nursing, and I literally went with the highest expectations. I was going to be Mother Teresa, Florence Nightingale, I was going to save the world, and I was literally going to be a hero. And that's what I had in my head. And I was quite disappointed to find that nursing wasn't actually quite like that. Um, as I started getting into my training, I found the placements really, really hard in the hospital. And my first ward was in colorectal surgery, which was a lovely ward. And the patients were just lovely. And I loved spending time with the patients. But I started to develop this real fear that I was going to make a mistake. I started to worry that I was going to miss a blood pressure uh, that was going high or that I was going to give someone the wrong medication. And that started to eat away inside me till I ended up with this real sense of panic before every shift on the ward. And I would go to bed at night and just be lying awake thinking terrified of what the next day was going to bring. And I persevered through the years of university, but got to the point right at the end when I just could not take any more. And I was in my sort of roundabout last month and I realized that I'd become quite unwell and had developed an eating disorder. I was completely exhausted and worn out by the process. And eventually I went to the, um, the head of our department to tell her that I was done and I just was not going to do it anymore. And I literally had four weeks to go, but I just could not face another day. Unfortunately, she didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. And I told her that I was gonna, when I was, said I was going to be done, she said, no, look, Maggie, just take a week off. Just go home and rest. Go and spend some time with your family and have a think about it. Don't quit yet. Just hang in there. And it was a really hard time. I wrestled during that time. I was so angry with God that I hadn't turned out how I wanted it to turn out. It hadn't been the plan that I wanted to be Mother Teresa, um, as if that was going to happen anyway, but I thought it was. Um, and I was just really, really disappointed in God. And I was disappointed that I'd chosen this course that didn't actually seem to be right for me. Um, and so I spent a good length of time deciding what to do. I did go back in the end um, and completed the course. And it was hard and it was tough and it was a real struggle and I wrestled with it. But I was really glad that I'd taken that time to step out and allowed God to speak to me in that time, even though it was a struggle and it was a wrestle. Um, but it was, I was glad I did it. But that I could only see afterwards. <laughs> um, so Jacob in the Bible was someone who also knew about wrestling. When we read, we read his story in the Bible and we see that actually he wrestled all through his life. In the very beginning, he wrestled in the womb. It says, in, to just give you a wee bit of a context as to the passage we're about to come to, um, it actually says that he struggled together in Rebecca's womb with Esau. So he was wrestling back then. Um, he wrestled for his birthright. So Esau was meant to get the birthright, but Jacob wrestled and ended up um, convincing Esau to give him his birthright. And then when it came to the point where Isaac was dying... Um, he wrestled to secure his birthright and again tricked his family um, and tricked Isaac into giving him the birthright. 
So we see this man who has really fought all through his life, um, who has really um, taken control of his life and very much has wrestled at each stage. And this point that we now come to, he's returning to meet with Esau. And he doesn't know what he's going to come against. When he left Esau, Esau was going to kill him. (laughs) And now he's sent some messengers ahead and said, look, could you go ahead, see what's coming at me? And the messengers return to say there's 400 men with Esau. And this is the point that we get to here. So I'm reading from Genesis 32, 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So right at the very start of this verse, we see that it reads, Jacob was left alone. And I wonder, what what was Jacob feeling during that point? It seems to me that he's maybe run out of his resources. He's come to the end of himself. And he's exhausted everything that he can do. And he's faced with this challenge of Esau coming at him. Is he finally broken to the point where he's now going to trust in God? And he takes himself away to be alone, to a place where he can hear from God. And it was here that God revealed himself to Jacob, but not in the way perhaps we'd expect him to. I think, wouldn't it be lovely, actually, at this point, I was imagining when I'm in this place of wrestling and struggling, I just want someone to tell me it's going to be okay. You know, maybe a little, you know, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. You're going to get through this. God could have maybe said, it's all right. I'm going to wipe that army out for you, Jacob. Do not worry. But no, he ends up facing this wrestle of his lifetime. It's long and it's grueling and he wrestles until daybreak. It's like a sort of a gold medal final in the Olympics. And he's made it to the final round. To be honest, I didn't actually know a huge amount about wrestling before I was reading this passage. And so my mind kind of wandered into the thinking about WWF and Hulk Hogan arriving for some drama with Jacob in the middle of the night. But actually, after further looking into it, there is another form of wrestling as well. Um, and that form is sort of like it's an ancient, um, ancient sport, which is, apart from athletics, is one of the ancient, most ancient recorded sports in history. 
And it's about gaining and maintaining a superior position. So it's not a battle. It's a wrestle. And to me, as I was reading it, it's a real grueling struggle. It's painful and long and tough. And I think this really was a tough moment for Jacob. And whether we think this was an actual wrestle or a metaphorical wrestle, normal wrestling can take sometimes a bout of it might be just five minutes. Jacob wrestled until daybreak. And I just think, gosh, that is a long time of having to persevere through that. But he was not going to leave until he received the blessing from God. So he hung on right until the end to get that blessing. In Hosea 21 verse 4, we read, At Bethel, Jacob wrestled with an angel and won. Then with tears in his eyes, he asked for a blessing. And God spoke to us there. So he wept and and made supplication prayers. And tears were his weapons. This was a real spiritual wrestling by vigorous faith and holy desire. But what, what was the point of it all? What was the point of this wrestling and this battle that he was facing and going through? I think it really involved grit and patience. It was almost as though Jacob understood that there were valuable lessons that he was going to learn if he got through to the other side. He resolved that he was going to receive that blessing. And he would rather have had every single bone in his body be put out of joint than give up without getting that blessing. So I wonder what we can learn from Jacob about how to persevere through struggles in our lives. And again, maybe it's, you know, that you're facing something really challenging in your own life today. It could be that you're looking for answers from God and waiting to hear from him. It could be that you're wrestling in prayer or in your Bible and trying to figure out what something means, looking for something that's going to apply to you. And why is that such a difficult time? When I wrestled with God during that time of trying to decide whether to continue with my nursing, I just couldn't understand why it was so unbelievably mentally challenging. And as it said in the story earlier on, I loved how the little girl says, my brain is just full of all the not right things. And we can feel that everything just becomes messy. And it's just a struggle. It's so hard, isn't it? And I was just really glad at that point that the course organizer had advised me to take a step out of it. Just take a step back. And like the little girl who goes off on a walk with her companion, taking a step out of it really helped me and allowing God to speak to me in that space. And I was very lucky to have my parents lived on this farm. So I went back and I had this week on the farm with my parents and was looked after for a bit. And it was great. But I needed that time. And as I said earlier, I'm really glad that I completed and persevered through to the end of my nursing degree. And it's, you know, I see so much how that's impacted on different parts of my life since. And I'm really glad of it now, although at the time it was awful. <laughs> so how do we persevere? I think there's two things just to remember when you're in that stage of wrestling and when you're wrestling with God and it's really hard. Just know that in that time of wrestling, you will be drawn closer to God. So often when we have these difficult times, it's then that we press into God and we see that change in our lives. Jacob needed to know 
that he had to completely and utterly rely on God. And that's what this wrestle did for him. It brought him closer to his father who loves him. And in James 1, 3 to 4, we read, we struggle with faith. We know, sorry, know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And that's what God wants to do in you through that time. And secondly, just know that God loves you and he longs to bless you. And he knows what it is that you need it reminds me of Susan's reservations about meeting um, Aslan the lion in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When she realized it was a lion that she was meeting, she said, Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver famously replied, Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. So blessing comes through that time of wrestling. And when we wrestle with the Lord, we may not find him to be safe always, but we do find him to be good, really good. And Jacob was blessed at the end of this time of wrestling, wasn't he? What Jacob needed wasn't comfort. What he needed was to learn to rely completely and utterly on his God who loves him. So just to finish, I mean, I think the main thing just to say is just you know that in that time of wrestling that you're wrestling with a God who loves you and wants to bless you. There is blessing in the wrestling time and it's hard to believe when you're in it, but persevere through it because you're wrestling with a God who loves you. Thank you.